0: And welcome to Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World. I'm Richard Dugan, your host. And on these programs, I could sit here for the next two minutes and give you all the particulars that I normally do on most every other program. But there are programs, there are guests that you just want to get to like now, or as they say, yesterday. Today, we're going to be talking with a woman who... Uh, has a very interesting background and we want to find out more about it uh, especially under the category with the metaphysical and spiritual aspects of this program new paradigms for a new world and looking for those choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true the healing the wellness the taking care of yourself um, actually the key I guess a current phrase that's really being used is self-care and we're going to talk a little bit about that well probably a lot about that with our very special guest Rachel Mann PhD. She is a shaman, a peacemaker activist and I want to thank you so much for joining us here on the program.
1: Well, thank you Richard. it is such a pleasure. I am I am so excited to be here and speak with you. I love your energy. I love your show. And, uh, yeah, and I love your hats. Oh, <laughs>
0: Mike, yeah, I thank you. Uh, a lot of folks do. I think what I'm going to have to do is contact the manufacturer and say, look, if you'll be a sponsor and provide me with hats that I can send out to my guests who want them. <laughs> There's an idea, right? Uh, you, there you go. You are, uh, now. it's interesting because I've spoken with many shamans uh and each one of them has a different way of describing themselves or titling themselves if you will and, I, and then there are those who say saying I don't, I don't want any title you know I I'm doing I just do what I do it just happens to be shamanism uh, are, uh what would you say you're, you're a shamanic healer sh- practitioner uh shaman woman medicine woman uh, what what fits and resonates with you Uh, that when you decided to go down this path?
1: Okay, well, I will start by saying that I call myself, take a deep breath, a sacred activist, social scientist, shamanic healer, and spiritual teacher. So I prefer not to call myself a shaman. Um, I call myself, uh, if I'm going to describe that aspect of my way, my spiritual way, I will say I'm a shamanic practitioner, shamanic healer, um, and as I said, a spiritual teacher. Um, You know, in some ways, I think that I'm increasingly beginning to feel as if the, you know, I, I, well, I'll, I'll just say that I I met my first Native American teacher back in my early 30s, so we're talking um, 30 years ago. And uh, never did I even imagine back then that I'd be doing what I am now. Um, and then, you know, despite my confusion and doubts about how I, I, a white woman of European ancestry, could possibly be walking this luminous, illuminated spiritual path that is, you know, that was, you know, what I was introduced to through my Cherokee teacher, but then later other Native American teachers. And then eventually through the, the Cairo people of the Andes and Peru, um, the medicine people, the Andes and Peru, and their beautiful cosmology. But so that's how, that's what I call myself. I, I, sometimes call it, if I'm going to really try to describe it to people, I sometimes will call it an earth-inspired, heart-grounded, soul-awakening, spirit-shaking kind of path of personal revelation Mm. um, where we come into, you know, where we build our natural communion with all of mother earth and all our relations the rock stone people tree plant people all beings that walk swim crawl fly and creep and and the powers and elements and forces of nature and with the great cosmic beings of light and my our cosmic divine parents creator spirit by whatever name Mm. we may call so that's what i do and that's how i talk about what i do
0: I'm going to share something with you real quick here, because I noticed in a a photograph on your website, uh, you are wearing a turquoise, I'll call it a talisman. And um, I happen to have something quite similar to that.
1: I don't know how well you can see
0: that. It's much smaller than yours.
1: (laughs) Beautiful. Yeah.
0: Uh, I actually purchased this in Arizona when my wife and I were traveling at Christmas 2019. Right before the lockdown, and um, I just really felt, you know, led to to have yeah. it uh, here. You are also a sacred activist for peacemaking. How does uh, how how is uh, being a sacred activist? And this is the first time I've heard of a sacred activist, let alone for peacemaking. Because I've seen a lot of activists out on the streets protesting and so forth. And I've never really felt initially that protesting really, really solved anything. It never seemed to really do anything that, that it only seemed to antagonize those people who didn't want what these people were protesting. Um, how is it? How, how do you... How do you define being a sacred activist as opposed to just a, a regular run of the mill? <laughs> yeah,
1: that's a great question, Richard. So let me give you a little bit of backstory mm-hmm. uh, from my life in order to understand how I came to use this this uh, moniker, you might call it, or name or role. I don't know what you would call it. So I've been very, very concerned ever since I was a child about war and violence. And um, indeed, it seemed throughout my life that my work, I was drawn to work. Um, As an academic, I I actually became very fascinated with the uh, former Soviet Union and Russia when I was uh, 15, 16 years old. And then I went on to get a BA during Cold War. I got a BA in Russian studies and then an in Soviet studies and a PhD in Slavic languages and literatures. But what I was fundamentally researching and studying through all those years of education was I was studying the effects first of authoritarianism, authoritarian dictatorships on individuals and and on, you know, the community, you might call the the people of, mm-hmm. of Russia and the Soviet Union. and um, But, you know, even back then, when I was doing this work, and I was involved in a variety of different things, I was the translator for the Soviet American Youth Orchestra, which was one of the many cultural exchanges that had been set up by the U.S., um, USIA um, during the Cold War. I always really felt like, on some level, that it was it was a spiritual mission that 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 my seeking to understand Russia and Russians and the history um, was, in a way, a spiritual mission, and that in so doing, it would be breaking down. Whatever the stereotypes and barriers and fear that was being stoked during the Cold War, right mm-hmm. between these two so-called superpowers, and um, and I also really from childhood again um, was very concerned about racism in the United States, and um, it's still one of my passions. I mean, really, basically, my passion is for human rights, essentially, mm-hmm. and human well-being. And within that, you know, I look at the, the, the traumatic impact from war, genocide, authoritarianism, and all the manifestations, the way this, this system that we live in, in the world, you know, really, really can really wound people, you know, and, and, you know, I, I've been involved as an activist in a variety of ways, as an educator, as an academic, uh, dealing with um, racism and prejudice in the workplace. And so, you know, I finally came to this idea or this feeling. So within all of this activism, I also worked with um, the Virginia Sexual and Domestic Violence Action Alliance, I'm getting grants for this amazing program of poetry, paintings and personal narratives by survivors of sexual uh, sexual assault, assault called The Art of Surviving. And within, through and around all of this, I was always bringing a spiritual way of being that we have to do our inner work, right? And that doing our inner work is actually an act of activism. So if you think about activism as being like, I'm going to take an action that is going to have a positive and powerful ripple effect out into the world to make people's lives better, to, to um, heal people, to... Um, make people more loving, more caring, more compassionate towards one another, right? Which I think is really at the heart of true activism, then that really is sacred. And then when you bring into that, this healing intention, because I am a healer. If you bring into that this healing attention intention first to do your own inner work, to heal whatever traumas, wounds you're carrying, that are yours, that are in your family lineage, right? Your ancestral lineage. That, and you ground into a a practice of building the vibrational frequency of compassion and peace within yourself, that you are a sacred activist. So that's kind of the the bigger picture, the framework for that. Mm And I feel that energy healing in particular is a very critical piece in terms of helping the world, because um, I believe that, you know, economic, political, psychological, scientific, uh, economic ways of trying to make people's lives better um, are valuable. And I think that when paired with a, a very with an understanding that we are energetic beings and that we're going to work energetically as well is very potent. And yes, I think that w- one of the things I follow in the footsteps of Gandhi, for instance, where he did basically bring nonviolent peaceful protests into the human imagination but for him because of his deep spiritual practice in hinduism he very much believed and told each person who was going to be doing that marching was that they had to really be grounded in that energy of peace mm-hmm. Yeah. We we
0: are talking with Rachel Mann, Ph.D. Rachel Mann, dot com is the website. Uh, she is a, a peacemaker. We're going to talk more about that as a sac- sacred activist, as well as a, a, a shaman here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I am really, really glad that we have uh, Rachel Mann here on the program with us to talk about the work that she is doing that is working towards. And I've said this. Maybe thousands of times as far as I know on this program that we are looking for those new ways of living because the old ways don't work. How do I know this? Look around. They aren't working because there are so many people who are hurting, who are Uh, I cannot believe the the number of, number one, of homeless people, the number of hurting people who cannot, who do not have a community for whatever reason, by their own choice or by their family's choice, because they chose a path their family didn't want them to choose. Uh, Rachel, I, I just went through, well, I guess it's ongoing, it never really ends. Uh, a period where uh, I experienced, for the first time in this lifetime for me, mm-hmm. the loss of a sibling, my eldest sister, back yeah. on the 29th of uh, 29th of March, 2022, and uh, went back to Phoenix to spend the time to go to the memorial of my sister. Uh, I am very grateful, by the way, of uh, my brother-in-law, uh, because from the day I met him, over 40 years ago, when they first met and started going out, he had a camera around his neck. So he has thousands and thousands of pictures, not only uh, of her, of them, of the places that they traveled, of his, his daughter, their daughter, their granddaughter, and grandson, and so on and so forth. And so they had a beautiful slide presentation, if you will, or, or what have you, a slide yeah. And what it said to me more than anything else, and and you alluded to this just a little bit ago, is how important it was to both of them, as well as to their daughter, they obviously uh, sort of infused this into her life, and hopefully she does the same with her children, I'm sure she will, is the importance of Community, as I was just saying, there are people out there that have been somehow, you know, the old, uh, the old thing about, you know, no child left behind. Well, all right, fine, you're not leaving the kids behind, but there are millions of adults who are being left behind, and some children too, and they don't have to be. And I, I wonder if, if there is, is there a connection for you with those people who we might say they are alone. They're not being lonely is one thing. I mean, there are times when we want to be alone. We need that downtime, right? Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. But there are people out there that their downtime is almost permanent because they have mm-hmm. no body to turn to. They don't have a net, a security blanket, if you will, of any kind. Yeah. And it's, and, and it's up to their own devices, if you will, and some of them will turn to all kinds of different things. Can we talk a little bit about the process of healing this aloneness and the loneliness? And is there uh, anything within your uh, medicine wheel, if I may use that term, that mm-hmm. you use to help people and again, we don't take away people's free will. I understand that.
1: Mm-hmm. But
0: to give them the awareness that they aren't alone and that mm-hmm. they don't have to be if they don't want to be, if they mm-hmm. want that connection. And I know that for many people who are listening, they've been alone for two years, obviously, in many in many different yes.
1: phases. Yes, Talk absolutely. to us a
0: little bit about that if you can, please
1: wow that's a big question and let me give you certainly my condolences about your sister so I know that's really tough thank you yeah yeah um yeah well I hear that that is where your passion lies and of course I mean one of the one of my my indigenous teachers from the Andes um, and this is not something he said to me this is something that, His friend uh, who wrote a book about him said in the book about him, um, this is uh, J.E. Williams, the book, I think it was Light of the Andes, talked about Sebastian. And, you know, Sebastian, who had grown up in the High Andes, um, in the Caro villages, the indigenous nation of the Caro. Out, this is all outside and around Cusco in Peru. And of course they live up there, you know, the, the Caro have lived there in, you know, very intact communities, right. With extended family and, and, you know, neighbors and friends and planning the fields together and, and living in this way that, you know, indigenous peoples, of course, have lived for millennia, you know, human beings have lived throughout our existence on earth, which of course is not is not true in the westernized world any longer. And certainly what you're talking about is showing how sick our the system is. And so first, I would say absolutely if you and I today talking to you can get out the message that, that whatever pain and hurt you are carrying inside that makes you feel alone. Um, Certainly there is lots of help out there. Um, I mean, I'm a healer. There are many healers out there, lots of different kinds of help that there is no shame in reaching out for help. Um, I think that there still is sort of a feeling that people have that, that it's somehow shameful to want help and to reach out for help. And one of the things about carrying a lot of trauma anyway, uh, one of the woundings of it can do, can be to feel very isolated and alone. So I really talk a lot about how unhealed wounds can really really exacerbate that that feeling of aloneness. And then of course we are encouraged in what, in the Westernized world that we are, we're, we are given a story that we are the, these singular units and that we have to be self-sufficient and that's a wound in and of itself. Right. I would say that one of the things that I do in my spiritual practice that is extremely important So even if I'm doing an energy healing for a single person, or if I'm doing a ceremony with a with a group of people, um, and always, never the intention for the ceremony, the intention for the healing is not just to help those present. It's not just to help ourselves, but it's always, always offered as being of service of our family our community our nation our world so that that vibrational frequency of healing and the peace that can come from it and the feeling of connection will resonate outward right and and of course in doing that the hope is is that if there's only if there's just one person out there who is lonely and isolated and hurting that something, something will happen, a synchronicity, or something in their mind and heart will wake up and they'll reach for the phone to reach out for help, right? And of course, part of it is also the desire to heal our families, because all of our families, many of our families are so broken. And I'm not just talking about from divorce or things like that. I'm just talking about dysfunctional unhealthy difficult patterns that just keep getting played out right that are wounding and so that is an act of sacred activism to just send that prayer out and then of course then it's like where is your if you want to go more into action in in terms of stepping up to be an activist or to be of service, which is really a better way of putting it, right? Where is your heart called to help? Is it called to help the homeless? Is it called to help elderly people who are isolated in their homes? A lot of people during COVID being in isolation have waken up to the fact that they're being called to be in service in some way, in some more greater way, more active way than they have been. They want their work their spiritual way of being and whatever they've gotten from their own healing journey to then be able to offer it to the world, to others in some way that is unique and authentic to who they are. I hope that answers the question.
0: Opens up an experience that I had back in, uh, in Phoenix. Um, wonderful conversations with my three other sisters, with my mother, my father, but the yeah. most fascinating conversation with my brother, and it was one of those conversations that, in in other families under other circumstances, would have divided. We would have become estranged siblings. Yeah. But we continued talking right up until, and I I, I say this because it's actually a humorous uh, a moment. When my mother comes out of the bedroom and says, boys, I'm 61, he's 59, boys, it's 1 o'clock in the morning. You know, <laughs> one of those kinds of things. Yeah. And we both, and I kept the conversation going Yeah. because I said, look, I said to myself, we both come from different perspectives philosophically, maybe yeah. even politically and so forth, okay? But what I began to realize was that once he began to see that we did have some issues that we needed to deal with. And when I say we, I'm talking about the country. We agreed on the issue, but not necessarily on the solution. But that was okay because we both recognized, oh, hey, there's this challenge over here we need to deal with. Okay. yeah. And we weren't trying to solve the problem. That was not the point of the conversation. Um, and so by the time we got to 1 a.m., it was like three different issues we recognized together. Even yeah. though we didn't come up with the same pr- uh, direction of solution, we both recognized, yeah, this is these are things that need to be dealt with. Yeah. And... I, I also had already made the commitment beforehand that it didn't make any difference where this conversation went. He was still my brother. Yeah, uh, we course. were still relative we were still siblings. We were still both in our own ways uh, experiencing the loss of our sister uh, as well as the grief our other three sisters were experiencing because and the reason why I bring this up this way is because the four of them, for the first, and I'll say for my sister, my eldest sister, who died at 65, mm. uh, I, I was there until her 21st birthday, at the very least, or 21, before she went off and got married and, and started her own family. Yeah. Uh, they all lived in the same room, which was not bigger than 10 by 10. We lived in a house that maybe was twelve or 1,500 square feet, three bedrooms, wow. two, one bath. Now. Wow. And we all survived. (laughs) Okay. Congratulations. But they had a bond that my brother and I could not really relate to in the same way uh, that maybe he and I, we sort of kind of, but he and I kind of went off in our own directions as we got older in the later years of high school, grade school and high school and so forth. But my sisters, they maintained that bond and they shared that, of course, at the memorial. It's one of those elements that I, I use to describe my family. Not exactly Norman Rockwell, but darn close. We didn't have those dysfunctional Thanksgiving dinners you see
1: <laughs> in ah. the movies, okay? Yeah, congratulations. Did we
0: have our squabbles? Sure we did. It we yeah. eight people living in this house, this brick house. But my parents, they... They gave us something that helped us, and that was that we needed to work through these things. Yeah. And it didn't matter whether or not we agreed, uh, but we needed to come to a place where, because my brother and I lived in the same bedroom, my four sisters lived in their own bedroom, that... It's a lesson from my perspective that our society needs to learn. And it seems to me that that's part of your activism, your sacred activism as a peacemaker or in peacemaking. Um, Wasn't it Gandhi? He said, be the peace or the change. I guess it was more so. It's be the change you want to see. And I know there was great criticism in the 80s and 90s when you'd hear from uh, oh i'm going to say the more the less religious and more spiritually minded people and i will say the new age movement metaphysical and so forth um you know they wanted peace on earth and they were criticized by the religious community i worked for 15 years for a christian radio station so i heard all of the criticisms the peace, yeah. These people over here, they want this, and then oh, forget it, because prophecy says this and prophecy says that, and it's like, I see. Why? Why? Why can't we have peace uh, in our time? Yes. But I've also learned as a metaphysician, and I'm sure that you will elucidate on this. It isn't going to happen on the outside until it happens on the inside, right? Yeah. That's a big piece. Yeah. Is there, I don't want to say, uh, because there is no quick fix. There's never been to anything. But is there a path of uh, maybe a first step that we can take to begin that internal process of finding that peace uh, there's a phrase that I've heard many times uh, by people when I was going through some challenges not long ago. They said, "Don't, don't let them take your joy." Well, how about let? Don't let them take your peace. Mm-hmm. Is there something that we can do to maintain our level of peace? Doesn't mean we won't have emotions. It's not what I'm saying. Mm-hmm that we can start to become the peace that we genuinely want to see in yeah. our families, in our communities, our nation, and the world.
1: Yeah, yeah. It, yeah, I hear you. And I love the story about your family. So let me, let me add to the thing about the lack of community because, and this is going to hook into this, you know, answering the question about peace. Mm-hmm. I think that one of the things that's happened in westernized society is that there's been a radical sense of separation from the earth from nature. And the truth is, is that our Mother Earth loves us generously and abundantly, and there is so much assistance and help from, from, you know, all of nature around us. and. If you are alone, I mean, I know a lot of people, they find that when they go out in nature, they feel, they'll feel better if they're feeling like they're in a heavy process. But, you know, you can talk to the mountains, you can talk to the waters, you can talk to Mother Earth, you can talk to God, creator, spirit, by whatever name you 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 use, great mystery. Um, there is a lot of spiritual help, for sure. And so so that gets into let so let me just say that I don't believe peace does not mean the absence of conflict. Number one. okay? Mm-hmm. Peace also doesn't mean the absence of strong feelings, emotions, such as anger, frustration, fear, or, love, joy. I mean, the point is, is that I consider the human experiment to be a very messy endeavor. And I always invoke the fact that the Buddha said, the first noble truth is that by the very nature of living in a physical body, you will feel pain. And what I mean, what he meant by that is that you're going to stub your toe and jump around and go owie owie owie. <laughs> said, you know he said we're going to experience the pain of birth, the pain of illness, and the pain of death. But that there, but that um, you know what we don't have to do is to suffer to add suffering to it. So for me, peace is like a a creative dance. Now, as I have, I spent a good 15 to 20 years healing from symptoms of PTSD, depression, and anxiety that all arose from growing up with a very, very uh, narcissistic um, mother addicted to opioids, um, mm. who is very, very critical, uh, you know, physically, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, um, emotionally abusive. Um, And I didn't have a lot of peace, because when we carry a lot of that kind of unhealed, untransmuted, you know, pain inside of us, it's very hard to find your center, to Mm -hmm. find what I would call a place of home inside. So the first step is to really begin to become aware of and to be able to hold a space for acknowledging that that pain is inside of us and and then to do the work of what i would say serving it well because i believe that we are each given i always say i was given enough adversity just enough adversity just enough pain and suffering not enough to kill me <laughs> but enough to turn me into the woman that i've become right Mm-hmm. Into the strong woman that I've become, into the woman who, who never, for a long time, never had a place of peace and refuge within myself, and now I do. Which what that what does that mean? That means when challenging processes arise in my life, or I am feeling hooked into um, overweening anger, you know, I I move through it much more quickly.
0: Hmm.
1: Yeah, and so. Your family is a great example of how do you how do you have that intention to have a, a a connection with one another to have supportive relationships but not without the absence of conflict because you have a strong intention to keep a kind of equilibrium, you might call it or peace to work it through mm-hmm. right And that's what we need. We that's, need noose. Yeah. I think that we haven't been taught, in Westernized society, how to do that? How to do that?
0: Hmm. We're and ta- lucky
1: you that you were you were taught to do that. Yes. yes so that's indeed. the place to start the okay. inner work.
0: You know, it's interesting too. I cannot recall uh, a time when I ever saw my parents fight with each other or really get into a, a, a I don't want to say a never knockdown drag out, but you know, yeah. an argument. Now. Uh, they, 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 they were quite the disciplinarians and appropriately so for the six of us, especially my brother and me, you know, um, and I'm not saying that we necessarily did or didn't deserve it. It's just, that's just the way it was, ladies and gentlemen. Okay. And I don't blame my parents for anything. I am the way that I am today, um, either because of, or in spite of my parents, it doesn't matter either way. I am responsible today at 61 years of age for who I am, okay? So I don't blame anybody, uh, the bullies in school, my parents, or anybody else for that matter. a matter of fact, I would have to say maybe that I'm actually grateful to the bullies for what they did uh, uh, when I was growing up because it showed me uh, something that I also uttered uh, shortly after the the 2016 presidential election, Where I said, Thank you, teacher. And I want to tell you that word, teacher, that was hard to say. So hard (laughs) to say. But I I knew I had to say it out loud, and I did. Thank you, teacher, for teaching me how not to behave. Right. And then, and so forth. Uh, We're talking with Rachel Mann, PhD, Dr. Rachel Mann here. We are talking here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and it is really a pleasure to have uh, uh, our, our, I would say, now a good friend, only after a, uh, less than an hour's conversation here, uh, talking. Uh, I believe that we, we met through the website LinkedIn. I believe we connected in, in that respect. Yeah. And I find that I'm finding a lot of people on that website who are very interested in making a difference in the world. Now, there will be those who will, who will say that, uh, you know, that website is, you know, for, you know, seeking out jobs and this and that and the other. I absolutely love the animal rescue videos. Uh, I love the kindness videos, one human being to another. Uh, I love the quotes that people post. Not a fan of the religious doctrine and dogma posts. Not a fan because I don't think it's appropriate, but you know, they post them. I'm not gonna, and I tell you, I there was a time when I would report what I thought were infractions that had they had no place political commentary. And mm-hmm. I would not only uh, submit to have them removed, I would no longer follow this person, they would know I would no longer be linked to them because. I didn't find that that was appropriate for this particular website. Um, and then I thought, you know what? Why am I wasting my energy? Just unfollow if that's what you feel and then move on. And that's what I yeah. do. Uh, and and I, I absolutely love and I have there are many people who are on LinkedIn who I've had as guests, but not because I met them through LinkedIn. I knew them years before. I've had them mm-hmm. on this program talking about the work that they are doing and that's what we have here with you talking about the work that you are doing how long if there is a specific moment in time if you that you can tell us how long have you been practicing shamanism but also something tells me these go hand in hand practicing sacred activism
1: yeah so um... Well, absolutely. As I said earlier, um, uh, my concern about people hurting basically, right? Hurting from all kinds of violence or abuse. I mean, that goes back to childhood, right? So. Um, And, and I feel that really looking back on the six decades of my life, I feel like that I was always connected to the sacred, to a spiritual view that is all about compassion and love and healing. And that that is a form of sacred activism. Um, My interest or, you know, how I, how I segued into actually becoming an energy healer. So I had an academic career. As I said earlier, I got my degrees and the cold war ended and I married a native, uh, Virginian. I, I, got my degree, my, um, graduate degrees at the University of Virginia. And while doing those degrees, I met a man living here locally and we got married. And so I ended up staying in the Charlottesville area in central Virginia. And, and I had, I had actually sort of a second career because, uh, the Cold War ended and I wanted to really diversify what I did and I was still very committed to academia and I ended up getting kind of by virtue of some synchronicities into administration in the integration of digital technologies and teaching. At, um, and so I did that for 15 years. But what eventually happened while I was doing that, I was healing, as I said, my own wounds and doing spiritual study with a variety of Native American teachers, and doing a lot of scholarly research on interdisciplinary perspectives on violence, trauma, healing, and spirituality, indigenous spirituality. And what was beginning to happen, and I was also developing uh, courses that I was teaching, because I left UVA when I finished my PhD, I had another job. Uh, in another state university, an hour from Charlottesville. And then I got a job back at UVA five years later. So I developed courses um, and taught them for many years at UVA on topics such as uh, Gandhi and the Native American Peacekeepers, story and healing, and all of them were dealing in some way, not only with critical issues like racism and ending violence and peace, but they were also bringing a spiritual way. I was teaching students how to meditate. I was adapting ceremonies from shamanic practices and Native American practices and using them to build a sense of community and compassion and connection between students so that they could begin to work together. And eventually, a series of events that included a medical crisis, the death of a cat, my beloved cat, and um, a problematic uh, situation with an employee at work all came to a head. And let's just say that the spirits came to me and said, you know what you're meant to do and you're not doing it and you know you need to leave your your career. and become a healer. And so I went and got training with a man named Alberto Alberto Vioto. He's got one of the biggest shamanic training schools in the Western world. And, um, and I hung up my shingle as a shamanic healer and started teaching classes. Um, So that's, that's how, but in the meantime, I continued to teach in academia and develop courses around the topics of peace building and And so on. Hmm. So uh, does that answer your question? I think, but you know, all of these three Mm -hmm. streams, it's all together. Right. And I really want to give a plug for shamanic energy medicine. I really, really do.
0: Well, let's talk about that more as we continue here. We're talking with Dr. Rachel Mann. RachelMannPhD.com is the website. We will be linked to her website so that you can find out more about the work that she is doing as we continue here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and I uh, thank all of you for staying with us here on the program. I firmly believe, uh, Rachel, that uh, the people who need to and want to hear what uh, you have to say, they're listening. Those who don't need nor nor don't want to uh, hear, uh, they're not listening. And that's okay. That's fine. That's just the way that it is. Um, I still remember, and this applies to what you do, a question was asked. I used to do these programs live. And we would Mm -hmm. take phone calls on a particular uh, program where I had my Vedic astrologer friend David Hawthorne on. I've known him for I don't know, 25, 30 years maybe, and um, uh, he was on the, on the line, and what you do is you'd call in, and we'd put you on, okay, we need your name, obviously, uh, your birthplace, uh, your birth date, and your birth time. And uh, this one gentleman called up and, and basically challenged uh, my friend uh, David and said, how do you know that this works? And he says, you know, I've never been asked that question, but I can answer the question quite simply. Yeah. It just does. Yeah. Now, with Chinese medicine, that's 5,000 plus years old, right? They had no FDA. They just knew that it works. Is that the way it is with you and the various modalities of healing that you utilize in your practice that you just know that
1: it works? Ah, Yeah, that's a great question. You know what? One thing I want to say, I want to add to your question to me about what does it mean to be a sacred activist? You, Richard, are a sacred activist. No. Oh. By doing this show and showing your heart and wanting to help the world get better and heal, that is an act of sacred activism, for as far as I'm concerned. And the medium that you do it through is through your radio show and showing up. I mean with your great heart and your great presence caring presence. So that just came to me. So mm-hmm. I'm now I'm going to you. address your question. Okay. Thank you. Okay. So um how do I know it works? Well, number 1 during my own long healing journey as I said from symptoms of PTSD I actually enlisted and worked in a lot of different modalities. So I did Jungian psychoanalysis. I, I I worked with some therapists doing talk therapy, you know, just developing greater insight. I worked with a therapist who was trauma-informed. And I discovered energy healing work when I was about 32 years old. And I was in a very, very difficult situation at work with my difficult mother. And I saw a little flyer for, you know, somatic emotional release, something about energy work. And I took that little phone number tab and I, I called the number. And the next thing, you know, I was in her healing space. She had me fully clothed on a, on a um, massage table with her hands just lightly over, just on my body. And What I will tell you is an amazing thing happened during that session, which is also relevant to uh, peacemaking. And, but when I got up from the table, I was, because I was, I had developed severe, intense chronic pain throughout my back and my shoulders and my neck. I was completely free from pain. I was completely free of depression and anxiety and something powerful and profound had happened. So that's my first testimony, my personal testimony. And and I called her and I said, I want to learn everything you know, everything you do. And then I continued to work with her and then eventually found my way to somebody who is a shamanic healer, meaning that she was trained in um, a kind of energy healing adapted from the native peoples of Central and South America. And what I... And what I would say from my personal experience is that all the talk therapy in the world, I really got a lot out of talk therapy, out of mainstream psychology, psychotherapy, but energy healing, absolutely, and shamanic energy medicine absolutely put, what is it called, pedal to the metal or the rubber on the road. Mm -hmm. Now, what I will say, I will say two things. One is about scientific research and shamanic practices and its effects on people's psych physical physical psychological well-being but I will also say that over the 16 years that I've been working with clients in you know working with healing clients and we're talking about 2,000 plus clients right um, and I'm not saying that all of them walked away like kicking up their heels and like I'm completely cured and healed and everything like that. But I would say that the majority of them, you know, actually emerged feeling tremendously changed, feeling like certain burdens they had always carried or blocks they had always had were lifted. Um, some of them, it required intensive work, many sessions over time. I had one woman who came to me for a healing and, you know, I gave it to her. And then five years later, she came back to me and said that one healing completely changed my life for the better. Mm. Now, there are some scientific studies about shamanic practices and healing. And what they have shown is that, yes, in terms of double blind studies, there can be... a, a A shift in people, either. So, one was the study of um, tempo mandibular TMJ pain. Mm. And they found that the shamanic healing practices that they used, I don't remember right now off the cuff, did actually help people. There have been studies of shamanic practices helping people with addictions and helping them end their addictions. Um so there there's an emerging body of scientific research and I you know I am an ac- academic I'm a social scientist I'm trained as an anthropologist uh, an historian um a sociologist and so on and I'm not just you know I have to satisfy my mind as much as I have to satisfy my heart mm-hmm. Right. I always say to people who look at me and think like, well, you know, God, you must be kind of, I don't know, airy fairy or whatever. And I'm like, <laughs> you know, why would a woman as smart as me? I'm sorry, I'm not trying to be arrogant, but you know, you know me. You mm-hmm. know, you know how you know my academic training and research and you know, my sure. my my mind, you know, and mm-hmm. why would I just fling myself into something willy-dilly without having like tested it against my rational mind and researched it that's my answer i know i go on and on your no that's fine that's what
0: the program yeah. is you put about like to- a
1: quarter in me and i could go on
0: <laughs> <laughs> got a lot of quarters um it, yeah. it, it, to me, is, is very interesting. We're talking with uh, Dr. Rachel Mann. RachelMannPhD.com is the website. We certainly hope that you will go to her website. We will be linked to her website on uh, on the uh, podcast as well as the video casts. And uh, to that end, I want to remind you that we are here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. And uh, we are also here on Wednesdays at 9 a.m. for a special edition of Tell Me Your Story. And uh, we stream live at those times at RichardDugan.com. The podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, and many other locations. And as I said, we're also on YouTube where you can watch these videos. And uh, we hope that you'll subscribe because when you do subscribe to a podcast, that means that every time a new interview, a new podcast or videocast is posted by yours truly, you are notified that it's put up there. And that's the advantage. It's not about me collecting email addresses and sending you stuff. No, I I don't have the time to do that. I don't have a staff. I'm it. So know that the only thing that that subscription will do is notify you that a new interview is placed on the SoundCloud or the YouTube site for you to listen to or watch. So I hope that you will do that. Letting you know also that uh, via the SoundCloud analytics, or the numbers crunching, if you will, 82,500 listens. In a little over four years, ladies and gentlemen And that, I think, is pretty astounding It's pretty cool I like the number, works for me I'm excited because I know we're going to hit 90 And then we're going to hit 100,000 So, hey, uh, help us out by telling your friends, your family Send links and all that good stuff Repost, I appreciate those who repost the podcast as well So, thank you, thank you for doing that And if these programs resonate with you And you like what we're doing here And you'd like to help us out financially We have a PayPal account It's there for your security as well as ours and all you have to do is go to our website richarddugan.com there is a link on the home page you just go down there to donate boom it takes you right where you need to be to uh, send us a support contribution of any amount we will take energetic support as well folks uh i'm not picky all right yeah cash is great but you know what sometimes The energy is uh, certainly uh, well used, uh, whether it's doing these programs or seeking out other guests or sometimes just uh, using that energy to spend time when we are in the decade of perfect vision to listen to that still small voice and we're going to talk about that more with uh, Rachel Mann here on Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan your host and I uh, really do appreciate uh, Rachel Mann being with us, Dr. Rachel Mann. Rachel Mann PhD is the website. Rachel I want to ask you because you've touched upon it a number of times Mm -hmm. and now we're going to dive uh, dive deep into it uh, into our inner lives, yours and mine. Mm -hmm. We promote regularly on this program about people going within and listening to that still small voice. How important is that for your practice, mm-hmm. especially when working with people? And um, I think this is the right word to use, being the facilitator mm-hmm. of the individual's healing because a person could come to you and say, I want you to heal me, but they could be resistant regardless. I mean, internally, they might be resistant oh, for a lot of reasons. And I'm sure that your intuition probably picks up on that.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, honestly, so all of the inner work I've done, um, and I'm not saying it's finished. I mean, I don't get me wrong. hmm I'm still working on things in myself. Yeah, me too. And I'm noticing, being curious about when things come up that feel a little difficult or when something within is calling for attention. Um, and um, so, so let me just, so let me ask you, answer your question in terms of, when people come to me for healing. Now, it absolutely certainly is true that, so I, I'll say this, there's a wonderful book that I recommend everybody. It's it's a classic in the literature about by and or about Native American shamans, medicine people, healers. It's called, uh, it's by Thomas it's, uh It's basically his storytelling about his conversation with a very revered, wise Lakota Sioux holy man named Fool's Crow. It's actually called Fool's Crow, (laughs) Wisdom and Power. And one of the things that Fool's Crow says in that book is that a person who comes for the healing has to absolutely believe in the healing, right? Right. So, there's a co creation between the person coming for help and then the healer's role in bringing help. And certainly, people can come. I've had clients come to me, you know, over the years, and they want the healing, but because of how they're wired, because of the way they've survived. There can be resistances, no doubt. Um, And I have ways of working with them over that. Um, And the truth is, is that when somebody reaches out, that's the first step. That activates what I call the natural pathways of transformation within somebody. Now, when they can bring their own insight into the process, and then they can go from the healing, and I often will give them homework right? Small ceremonies to do or affirmations to say, or a meditation practice to do. Absolutely. It certainly does help because then they are, they are actually showing, they are actually stepping into the process and serving the process. And that's going to amplify the effectiveness of the work. So we have to be doing our own inner work and what that means for every individual is going to be very different in terms of their where they are in healing their trauma um how much self-awareness they may have um and we're all growing in self-awareness no doubt we're all growing to becoming more and more expanded in our awareness not just of self and inner self but our awareness of the greater beautiful vibrational matrix of creation that we live in does that answer your question Mm -hmm. it does
0: indeed Rachel Mann is my guest and you are listening to tell me your story I'm Richard Dugan your host and uh, we are uh, diving deeper and deeper into this I want to ask you in regards to the healing I am a Reiki master I was I was trained Mm -hmm. that the energies that I allow to go through my conduit my body my physical spiritual. yes pain, uh i don't control not right. not in the sense that when i was working for the christian radio station we would have prayer programs people would call in and ask for prayer for this that or the other thing yes and yes. people would pray for those things for their quote-unquote healing but with reiki that isn't how it works you yes. send that energy to the individual, whether they be there yes. present or absentee, to let them use it the way they want. I had an uncle. My brother's, my, my, my uh, father's brother was diagnosed with terminal cancer. My
1: mm-hmm. wife
0: and I decided we're going to send him an absentee healing. They gave us his photograph. We did an absentee healing. After his funeral, my mother told us what had happened. She told me that He got very angry shortly after, because they knew when we had done the absentee healing, shortly after, threw his Uh medication across the room against the wall, got in his wheelchair, (laughs) wheeled across the family's compound or ranch, if you will, (laughs) to his son's dwelling, where he, I guess, had a period of closure with his son before he passed away. Right. Now, what that example brings this, that example brings this question. Yes, What is healing? Because because we sent that for his use. And you could say for his healing. Maybe it's more appropriate to say for him to use in whatever way he chose. So Reiki isn't necessarily, in this instance, energy, isn't necessarily for the quote-unquote healing of but for the use by the receiver right so how do we then define healing because if we want them to be healed of that cancer wait a minute that but that's maybe not what they want now right. we're trying to you know we're trying to force our will on them it's like with my right. sister you know she and i had she by the way she could answer the tough questions and i asked her point blank i said are you ready are you ready? And she said yes and no. The no was because of her husband because she didn't want to leave him behind. But she said otherwise, yes, I'm ready. I'm at peace. And everybody at the memorial said the same thing. Yes, she was at peace with it all. So how do we define healing with all of that? I mean, you know, just that's a part of it. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, Reiki is a beautiful, beautiful Healing practice. I have been a recipient of powerful Reiki healing sessions. It is a little different from the kind of energy healing I do. Um, I would say that the kind of energy healing I do is that I track or I follow the energy cords of that appear out of whatever the heavy process is into being able to see the deeper wounds that are there that are ready to be transmuted or healed or extracted. And then I do what are called soul retrievals because whenever we remove something like we extract the wound, there's, you know, it has fulfilled a role within, you know, within for that person and their soul's evolution. And we need to bring back, um, you know, more positive aspects of self or, Spiritual gifts or archetypal gifts that will then help them continue, as you said, to use this energy to manifest whatever it is is needed in their lives. So, one thing I will say is that there is always a great mystery about a person's journey, hmm. why they came here, why they incarnated why they chose the particular experiences and what I'm saying is on a soul level, mm-hmm. why they've encountered certain experiences, whether it's illness or family conflict or, or accident or whatever it is, loneliness, feelings of unexplained feelings of loneliness. And that at that level there, you know, we can't just be deterministic about it. We can't just say, okay, I'm going to send you healing energy and have you be cured from cancer because we don't know what the soul's deeper purpose is for having that illness. I mean, in the story that you just told, it could very well be that your uncle, that in fact that illness brought him to that point with the help of the Reiki you sent him in order to have this healing reconciliation with his son. But we don't know. I'm not saying that that's right. Right. You know, I also don't want to I don't want to make it out like, well, we get sick because, you know, there's a new age kind of thing. Like you create your own reality. And if you get cancer, well, that means that, you know, you, I don't know, did something wrong in another life or that you're filled with anger. And you, yeah, I I, I throw all that that out. Mm-hmm. I'm just, you know. Right. We don't know. Right. We don't. <laughs> you know? We don't. And, in the sense, having said that, absolutely, when someone comes to me for an energy healing, I do the work that I do. I track the energies, the the images, the feelings, the sensations. I call in all the spiritual help that is there for me, for the client. and I do my I do my part, which is channeling. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is channeling, holding mm-hmm. space, channeling energy. Yeah. And then they are released into the world. And who knows? Yeah. Right? It's- I mean, I've had clients come to me who have physical, chronic physical illness, who have cancer. And some of them have gotten some relief from the, the condition. And some of them have not. But then it's turned out that the healing ended up helping them, like you said, with your uncle in some other way.
0: Yeah. 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 It's it's to me uh, the whole aspect of healing. I, I had an experience I'll share with you. Our listeners who have listened for a while know of this story as well, Yeah, where I was at the Christian radio station. I was working. These uh, evangelists, these ministers came in to do a program, and they wanted to uh, lay hands on me to heal my eyes. I was born legally blind, and Uh um, uh, I said, no. Mm -hmm. I said, I'm not here to get healed. I am here to do the work for you that I am doing now. I can't stop you from praying for me, and I wasn't—I wasn't trying to be arrogant necessarily, but I was trying to make the point that my purpose in life was not to have my vision healed because I was doing the work that I was doing with the vision that I had. I was fine, yeah. okay. Yeah. Uh, but I like—I like said I can't stop you from praying for me, but no, I—I I would appreciate it if you did not uh, lay hands on me, and. Of course, um, you know, I went uh, until I was 35 and my vision started to decline in my right eye. went to my ophthalmologist. He says, well, it's the cataracts. They're growing. We could uh, wait and see if they go away, which I kind of think he was being facetious. Or we could do a lens implant. But there is a 50-50 chance you could lose your vision. I said, then let's get it. Let's move on it and do it. Because if I lose my vision, I want to start adjusting now. Uh, I had basically up to that point, I had basically been trying to get a license just to drive a moped and they wouldn't, they just wouldn't do it. I didn't even know about the, med- the medical review program uh, here in California or in Arizona for that matter. And so I just, I threw up my hands, I thought, like, forget it. I just, you know what, it's, if I'm bicycling at the age of 65, great, then I'm going to be really healthy and, 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 and I'll, I'll be outside and outdoors and doing, it's fine. I, I basically made peace yeah. with that. I let it go yeah and then technology caught up with me and and boom (laughs) and now I'm driving a truck so well congratulations I so so my I still I still firmly believe that now there's another aspect of this too and I haven't really looked into this and I want to get your insight on this from a metaphysical perspective Uh, a year ago yeah. I uh, almost a year ago, I should say, in July of 2021, I had yeah. this pain in my chest right below my sternum. I didn't know what I thought it was. I had just had lunch. Ah, oh, It's got to be indigestion. It'll be all right. You know, didn't go away. Didn't go away that evening. We're having dinner. And, yeah, it's still there. Not any worse than it was, but it, it didn't go away. Didn't it? 10 o'clock rolls. No, we're going to the ER, she says. Off we went. Mm-hmm. And the Olympics were taking place around that time. And I had surgery on a Thursday, and I mm. would tell people, yeah, I just participated in the new Olympic sport, and I won a gold medal in the gallbladder clean and jerk because my gallbladder <laughs> was infected and had a golf ball size gallstone. Mm. Now, what I find fascinating is the uh, metaphysical descriptions of the different organs of the body and what emotions they are tied to in particular, like the gallbladder and the liver, I understand, have to do with anger. Okay. And I've described uh, my pre- and post-operative angry phases. I used to, sp- you know, I would knock something over. After it was. And I was not controlling it. just, It's just what happened. It was really kind of. I didn't even notice until like the third or fourth day that I was doing that. It was really very interesting. So I have to wonder, too, that, all right, you say cancer. Let's just use that as the example, uh, like with my, 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 uh, my uncle. Um, all right, we don't know why, per se, but there's a reason why he chose to have it. Now, I know that sounds strange to a lot of people. I had an infected gallbladder, all right, and a gallstone. I chose to have that. I I haven't really figured out exactly why. All I know is I'm glad it's gone, not because of the pain, but because of the metaphysical, maybe metaphorical, aspects of uh, the contributions of anger in me that have actually diminished considerably. Um, yeah. What about that aspect of the healing process, uh, in terms of the the client, not patient, but the client, your client, understanding if if that's even part of the process, why they have manifested this, as to then of course why they're there with you to so to speak unmanifest it or fix it or what have you, is is that is that part of the process too uh, of the person understanding the reason why they chose this because you know there is a certain reality to the fact that we do create our own reality we make choices and it puts us where we are i mean i made choices as a kid believe it or not just as you did that brought you and me right here right now
1: that's right okay yeah wow you ask great questions richard (laughs) deep dive okay so you know my wheelhouse is not to i don't know what certain illnesses supposedly mean if we were to open up like some kind of metaphysical encyclopedia of what it means to have you know gallbladder disease or cancer um what I would say is that we have an energy field around us that following in the footsteps of one of my teachers, better Vioto, I call the light body, right? We mm-hmm. have an aura. It's an energy body that interpenetrates into the physical garment um, and that many physical illnesses before they manifest in the physical can be seen, felt in the energy body and they can be a result of a multiplicity of things. In other words, they could be a result of, again, some childhood trauma that hasn't gotten resolved or healed. They could be a result of um, some soul imprint of what in terms of that person's destiny line might manifest if they make certain choices or go in a certain direction. So illness in some respects in energy healing circles is said to originate energetically before it manifests physically. Now, I'm going to amend that a little bit to say that... So that is not to say... So it can mean that... I could read in somebody's energy body that there is some potentiality for a particular physical imbalance to happen. Again, that's not particularly in my wheelhouse. But for instance, my teacher Alberto Vioto talks about that in terms of his healing practice. Um, And I think that any, like I, I got into terrible chronic pain, as I said, in my early 30s. And it is because of that physical pain that I had for 15 years that it led me deeper into myself because I wanted to be free from that pain. I didn't want to live in physical pain for the rest of my life. Mm -hmm. And so I went and I sought out body workers, massage therapists, acupuncturists. I did a lot of energy work that ended up showing me how different holding patterns, traumas, and how they'd impact my energy field, how they would impacted my, therefore, my physical garment, my mind, my emotions had manifested in this cluster, this, you know, kind of cluster. I won't say the second word of physical (laughs) (laughs) pain.
0: Yes. I know what you're talking about. I
1: don't know how body your listeners are. So I would say that, yeah, I think any experience in our life, whether it's an illness or, or some kind of pain, whether it's a trauma that we experience, we can serve it and look deeper into it in order to know more about self and then to understand more about why we're here in order to, it could even be like you said, that there you needed to have this big shift in this pattern of, of anger. And so your gallbladder took it on Mm -hmm. and the doctors who were involved in the surgery were part of the team that were called in on a soul level to help you with this. I mean, again, it's in the great mystery. And so I don't want to say that there's one particular answer in terms of illness, but also, yes, absolutely. Every experience in our life, we can serve it of being in service of deepening our self-knowledge, deepening our own healing, deepening, really deepening our sense of connection to ourself, our love of ourself, and our ability to be a better person in the world.
0: Yeah. Well, and that is really where we are coming from, is uh, the fact that we are all trying to come to grips and understand yeah, uh, why we're going through the things we're going through. I do uh, have to say that um, on on a different metaphysical level, there are certain people that are in our, in our lives at certain times for Absolutely. specific reasons. So I, I, Like you said about the surgical team, uh, they're there to help us uh, learn a particular lesson that we chose to learn. And I have to tell you that my sister, uh, with the stories that I was hearing about the fact that, <clears throat> I mean, I knew that she had a lot of uh, uh, ail, um, uh, diseases throughout her entire life, starting with asthma, yeah. and I, I can't help but I can't help but say this. Uh, here's a girl. When I was a kid growing up, she was a girl who had asthma, and what did she do? She took up the French horn. Who does that? <laughs> who does? Yeah, uh, that's great. But what she Shared with us in the latter years of her life, especially at Christmas. Uh, I flew back to Phoenix because we all thought this could be our last Christmas as a whole family. And she was so energetic and so, you know, having a great time. I'm thinking, no, this won't be the last one. Uh, There were things I didn't know. But she gave us the most incredible gift you could never wrap Mm-hmm. And it was the gift of what I called and I told my youngest sister who arranged it all. She's just the most amazing woman who uh, she, she if she had a symphony, she could orchestrate it. She could make it all work together in great harmony. She knows how to put together yeah. occasions. And that Christmas to that day was so well orchestrated. And my eldest sister, Jeanette. Gave us that gift because she didn't tell anybody about what was really going on. And she didn't Mm -hmm. show it either. And there was one other lesson that she gave Mm -hmm. all of us to that they also shared with me. That in spite of all of the illnesses she had throughout her life, she was never bitter. Never bitter. Uh, And it's like, Mm. wow. I mean, if anybody had the right to be, she sure did. She wasn't uh and and uh i loved what her husband said my brother-in-law said at the ceremony at the memorial when she laughed and she was like this when she was young too when she Mm -hmm. laughed and she had a marvelous laugh Mm -hmm. you saw both rows of teeth that's (laughs) how big a laugh she had wow so those are the kinds of 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 examples lessons experiences that this one person this one i'm going to say entity who took on physical form as my eldest yeah. sister uh, yeah. in this lifetime gave us as part of our learning a lesson life lesson
1: yeah
0: oh man i tell you what uh and I had we had some great Christmases. I mean, you know, my parents, you know, in spite of the fact that, uh, you know, we weren't rolling in dough, but we were still doing pretty good and all. Uh, and they made it made great Christmas as a kid growing up. But that one, that one's number one right there. And not because yeah. after that she passes. No, no. I was saying that I was telling yeah. my youngest sister about it. I said, I, you number one, this th- this is the best. Just the best. So I think that's one of the things, too, that I love about this program is every program, get, each program gets better and better and better. And I look at it as a it's this is Christmas for me. I get to open up a, a whole new package, a whole new present. I get to explore your world, you know. Yeah. Uh, a little of mine Thank spills you. over, but,
1: uh, <laughs> I, you know, great. it's exciting.
0: It it it's it's kind of cool because you've 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 accomplished so much, you've done so much, and I think one of the things that, and I'm curious if you've run into this much, there are people who are 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 around other people all the time, and yeah. they're connecting with them, and they're maybe they're in the medical field or maybe they're at retail or whatever it is,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and they don't think they're making one difference whatsoever, oh, and yet the reality is. Because my wife is one of these people who works with patients in the cardiology department at Sansom Clinic here in Santa Barbara. And th- some of them, she's been there 16 years. Wow. And even though she has changed different physicians through her time there, mm-hmm. some of the patients from the, old, the other physicians that she used to see want to see her. Yes if nothing more than to say hello and to thank huh. her for how she took care of maybe the father huh. or the husband that passed on or what have you. Yeah. Now, that's an impact. That yeah. is powerful. Yeah. So in, in our final few minutes, share with us why it's important for us to recognize our own importance in this life and to the lives
1: of the people around us. Yeah. Yeah, so I just want to say your sister sounds like she was wonderful. And absolutely, people come into our lives to be our teachers, whether they're doing something so-called negative or positive. So um, I have a a friend and colleague named Chris Saadi, as well as uh, his friend, well, I'm friends with both of them, Mandy Bird and I'll put a plug in for their book called tears of the source of your passion. It's all about the power of grieving to find out who we truly are and what our authentic, what our true authenticity is and therefore what our passion is and our mission is in the world. And, um, I love their work because it really resonates with mine and highly recommend their book. They're both brilliant, beautiful, open-hearted, noble-hearted people. Um, I would say that trust the fact that you are here for a reason. Now, I know in the United States that people think that having a mission and purpose means you have to have some kind of big career or write a book or, you know, be on Oprah or be on (laughs) Richard's show. do something big, but the truth is, is that our service, and this is what I would call sacred activism, like your your sister did her sacred activism through that joy she brought, right? And that really discovering our authenticity, in other words, not what people have told us we should be or we should do, not our conditioning, right? but we find out who we truly truly are our joy our what it is that makes us tick and that out of that authenticity is your purpose and actually in the spiritual way that i teach which includes this beautiful mesa tradition this is a mesa which is a sacred medicine bundle uh. one of the things that i teach is that we are in sacred ser- service just by breathing our life is an offering and so I call it now I've been calling it for years the breath of love the breath of light because the fact of the matter is is that by breathing in we are being supported by the plant people and the tree people they are giving us life and then we breathe out and we are giving life back and that life in that breath is the most incredible abundance and generosity. So we start there. Mm. And then we find what is the keynote of peace. I have a, a very dear old friend. And I I once said to her, I said, you know, your, your purpose is just to be the big hearted woman that you are. And to give that big heart to your friend's and your family that's your purpose it doesn't have to be more than that and then if you want to write a book or become a therapist or a healer have a radio show Mm -hmm. um, then great if that's what gives you joy yeah yeah Yeah.
0: well i'll tell you what this this life um has its uh its its uh experiences i'm going to put it in that generic term Because that encompasses everything. It has his experiences. And it's how we act, not react, but act in accordance to those experiences uh, that helps us to learn the lessons that we need to learn. Um, I know that my sisters and my brother, too, although he he's the joker in the family I can't get away with it. My dad came down on me real hard when I was back there because my brother did not return with my mother and I uh, to to their condo. And he asked me point blank, says, where's your brother, Mike? And I was kidding around. I said, well, Dad, we had to sell him to put gas in the car. Oh, he was. He said, look, when I ask a question, I want an answer. I said, I am sorry. I apologize. He's coming home with Cecilia, my other sister. Mm. That night, my father came into the living room. I was making up the couch for to go to sleep, and he came in and apologized. And I said, "Dad, look, you will always be my father, and I will always love you." Oh. And I gotta tell you, um, he's ninety. He'll be ninety-one this wow. year. Wow! And he—he he, obviously he uttered those famous words most parents do at this time. That parents aren't supposed to bury their children and uh, I there was nothing I could say to that but of course I just told him I said look you know I you know okay so my brother can get away with it I can't hey my brother at dinner one time when we were younger we were sitting there and my dad asked him to go back into the kitchen and get him something I can't remember when the bowl of potatoes or something and my brother said, to, I couldn't believe that my dad didn't haul off and smack him. He said, well, who broke your legs? Now, I'm going, wow, hold it. Wait a minute. There's a double standard here. I mean, we were, we were 10 or 12 or maybe 15 or something yeah. like that. I, but it was like, okay, I, I, I need to know my place in this. <laughs> but um, my dad is uh, also uh, um, one who is, you know, um, he's quick. Sometimes to to take offense because he asked a, he asked a legitimate question and, and maybe I should have just answered him straight you know but we were in a kind of a for, uh, interestingly enough in a rather uh, a happy mood of, of sorts you know trying to enjoy the celebration of my sister's life and um, and then of course he's also very willing to recognize oop I, I crossed the line here you know, and make amends and so forth. And I think that's part of the experiences that we're all going through right now. Yeah, Um, absolutely. You know, uh, I know that as you and I are speaking and according to the the, the latest astrological uh, stuff, Mercury is in retrograde. But one of my good astrology friends has said, this is not a time to be worried. (laughs) It's a time to be observant. Mm. Uh, be the observer during this time. Yeah, and uh, uh, and that takes the emotion out of it. You just get to you know look around. Yeah. Oh, I see. Okay, all right. This is happening, and that's happening. Yeah. Okay, and none of it's permanent. That is one of the other keys that I I really want to impress upon our listeners and viewers is it doesn't matter what you're going through. It's not permanent because yeah, change change is the constant of the universe. Rachel Mann PhD is my guest and uh, RachelMannPhD.com is the website and you are listening to Tell Me Your Story. I'm Richard Dugan, your host, and we're talking with Rachel Mann about the work that she does as a shaman and a healer and a, a, a sacred... Activist, I love that for peacemaking, and uh, we hope we can have you back again to talk further about some other more specific things. If, if that should be up your alley, we'd love to have I you back to. to continue this conversation. I, I, I invite most all of our guests to come back again. Yeah. Uh, and and th- they're certainly welcome. Uh, we'd love to do that. And uh, I have three final questions that I want to ask you before we let you go. But oh again, God. thank you
1: so much for giving us so much time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, it's been great. I, I love you. I love your energy. I love your questions. I love the life that you your own life that you the stories that you shared. I mean, what a great teacher you are. Well thank you. Yeah for your presence.
0: Before I ask those three questions, I need to talk to you, the listener and the viewer. And thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story. thank you. New paradigms for a new world, giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. And again, we're here on Sundays at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m., Monday mornings at 1 a.m. and 9 a.m. on Wednesdays for our special edition of Tell Me Your Story. That is Pacific time as well. We're streaming live at those times at richarddugan.com. And the podcasts are on SoundCloud, iTunes, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, Stitcher, Player FM, Blueberry, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music. Music and many other locations, and we're also on YouTube, where you can watch these interviews. YouTube and the channel is "Tell Me Your Story," Richard Dugan. Just look for the guy with the black hat. We also hope that if this resonates with you, you like the guests we're bringing and the topics we talk about, and and uh, you feel led to, please support us financially. We have a PayPal account for your security as well as ours, and also, probably more important than anything else, please spend time. In this still, quiet, peaceful place, we call our, some would call our prayer closet, if you will, and listen to that still, small voice during this, the decade of perfect vision. And with that, we now move on to uh, our three final questions for our special guest here on the program. And the first of those three is, who is Rachel Mann?
1: Ah. Okay. I am a sacred activist, social scientist, shamanic healer, spiritual teacher who loves humanity in all of our messiness and, and want to support people who want to heal trauma, remove blocks, manifest their, higher, their highest vision for their life, to be in alignment with their authenticity, their mission and purpose, and to be in service.
0: What is it that you hope to or want to achieve through the work that you are
1: doing now? Ah, ever and always, my intention is that I, when I die, that I leave behind, I leave a, let's say, a deer path through the woods, because I mean that in the sense that all the people that I've helped, that I've supported, but I leave a dear path of love and peace in my wake. Hmm. For others and for the planet.
0: And finally, what is your life's
1: purpose? Oh, my life's purpose is to help heal the world. And, and we, to create a great wave of peace so that humanity will eventually live in peace at some point.
0: And we it's join you that in vibrational that. vibrational
1: frequency. Yeah. Absolutely. With others.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we join you in that. And we thank you again for joining us here on the program. Thank
1: you, Richard.
0: And we thank you for listening to and watching Tell Me Your Story, New Paradigms for a New World, as we're giving you choices and knowledge of those choices to help make your dreams come true. Until... Our next broadcast, podcast, videocast. Love to Lal and Jeanette. I'm listening.